Hi, just before we start this episode, I want to acknowledge that I'm going to sound like I have a weird microphone in it. Sorry about that. It's this microphone that you're listening to now, so in the end it sounds fine. But uh, this was the recorded on the first day that I plugged it in, and I hadn't set it up very well, and it's going to sound really weird. Apart from anything else, I had neglected to put a pop shield on it. I thought it would be alright this one time, but no, so you're going to hear a lot of plosive sounds from me. Sorry about that. Um, but it's only for the first few minutes that it sounds really back to front and weird. Anyway, here we go! Hey, boomers! This is Sonic the Comic, the podcast, your look back at the Sega-sational world of the 1990s and the United Kingdom's official Sega comic. We are your humes who think we're in charge. I am Dave Bulmer. And I am Chris McFeely, and this episode we have got a special guest! Yes! Say hi! Hello. Hello. Who are you? I've I'm... never t- seen you before. No, you've never seen me before. I just snuck in through the window. You're complete. I'm Abby. Complete this is my wife. Hello. She's Abby. She is a colorist for 2000 AD. Yes. She's not here in that capacity. No. She's here because she's a big fan girl. I'm Sonic. a big nerd. <laughs> um, and uh, this is the comic that is the reason we met and are Yay. now married. Yay. Isn't that sad? <laughs> Oh no. So issue seven of Sonic the Comic uh, represents the start of the second age, the second era of the comic with, uh, as the cover loudly proclaims, two mega new series. Oh, I'm sorry. Two new mega series. I do apologize. Starting inside, we've got (laughs) Streets of Rage and Kid Chameleon. Plus uh, yes. 100 Sonic 2 books to be given away free. And this is another yes. uh, this is another no Sonic cover. So we have an illustration of the three characters from Streets of Rage. Who... And let's pause there and look at this illustration. What a good one it is. It is. Yeah. I, I don't know what... I, I've been drawing cartoons for all my life. And one of the things they don't tell you about that is that you don't automatically learn lingo. Uh, about cartooning so i don't know what words to say about what's good about this but it's real good the lines are good <laughs> there the, there's different line weight that really kind of stands out there's the i i don't know how do you know more words of words of drawings i feel like it's it's very loose and very dynamic there you Just go oh, those yeah. are very good drawing words <laughs> this very is loose and very dynamic this is the work of peter richardson who draws the streets of rage comic inside and i suppose we'll be talking a bit more about his work when we get there i really like it i really like the inking on that oh, it's, it's so nice it's great it's, this is the best cover so far yes yeah, yeah. Uh, it hadn't really. There's a nice Shinobi me, one. Yeah, the Shinobi one is the very Shinobi nice. one is yeah. good. I don't know why. I think this is better. It's just so something about the way I can see the materials it was made with, but that doesn't. It's not a detriment to the drawing because it's just mm. so strong. Mm. I like it. It's a good one. Uh, and oh, and just to, before we move too deeply on, something I want to start doing at the beginning because otherwise it's a bit of a heavy weight around the end of the podcast if I do it then is to mention the back cover, which is usually just an advert, and I think that's nice as a bit of a time capsule. But today, it's this lovely pinup, an STC pinup of just Sonic running along, and it's like a good drawing of him, and it's nice. Obviously, who in their right mind would cut the back off a comic? To no. put it up on their walls, so that's not getting pinned up anywhere. But it's nice that it's there. So in the control zone this week, Megadroid uh, essentially just walks us through exactly what we just said already. There's two new exciting strips starting this issue. Uh, though something that I notice about his description here is that it actually um, reinforces something that we've been saying on this podcast up till now. His descriptions of the two new stories stress the fact 
that they are the origin stories, that they are adaptations of the uh, of the stories of the games and not something that builds upon the games or something that you're expected to know about the games already. It stresses these are the origins of Kid Chameleon and the Street Fighters, That's which right, is yeah, which is. Uh, basically the approach that all future Sonic the uh, comic strips will take, as we've said in previous episodes. And then we have this little section that says Sonic goes scouting, and we have Sonic wearing his fanciest Hogwarts tie. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was and and uh, holding his flag, which if you turn it sideways, it says BURF on it. It does. BURF. BF991? See, I read it as B E R R F. <laughs> I think it's uh, what it, it'll be something that scouts knew about. Very, it'll be a very famous thing, <laughs> possibly. Yes, you weren't a scout then, Dave. I was actually for I'm about friggin' knew it for <laughs> about three weeks. Oh, at which point I realised that I was too weedy and scared. Oh, oh, and so I left because uh, in our village, uh, I'm not sure what scouts are supposed to be. In our village, it was Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> I was never a scout. I wasn't uh, interested in going outdoors. <laughs> no, no, gosh, you you were you were in a. I was a brownie for a long time. Yeah, um, you went yeah. on little outdoor like, jaunts and things in the woods. I like you? I like being a brownie a lot. Um, we did two trips away, but they were both. They didn't involve camping. They were weekends away in dormitories somewhere. Oh, that sounds fun. Um, it was fun. Yeah, I've told you about the time that we stayed up late till midnight and really annoyed everyone in charge. <laughs> we were basically in a sports hall to sleep. We had sleeping bags. What, just on the floor? So, yeah. That sounds so brilliant. imagine about 50 small girls yeah. who have brought sweets. And they're supposed to be being quiet. And they're supposed to be being quiet. Um, and we basically came up with a game where everyone uh, you take turns to run down either side of the hall, uh-huh. jumping over everyone's sleeping bags, oh, while no. the rest of us sitting there would wave our torches back and forth. Like a disco. Yes, like a disco. <laughs> and I have never seen anyone, like when Brown Owl came storming out of her room where she'd been <laughs> sleeping to yell at us to shut up. I can't think of any other time I've seen a lady so mad at small girls. <laughs> we were being incredibly noisy, even though we thought we were very stealthy. It was great. I loved it. The reason we're talking about scouts at all is because there's some kind of thing that they're doing with the scouts and sega where they're going to be giving out sonic scratch cards with the chance to win game gears master systems mega drives mega cd i would have loved to do some of these scratch cards but i never got the opportunity no scouts showed up at my door with this uh, yeah it's scouts scout. selling the scratch cards right I mean, I think so. I, 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 I don't know. It feels like there's a lot of assumed knowledge about how the scout movement works in this text box Maybe. that I don't... Yes, uh... I, see, I'm imagining them coming round door to door, but I don't know. Well, let, let's find out. Okay, the Sonic Speed Challenge involves selling special Sonic the Hedgehog scratch cards to raise money for the Promise Appeal to help the scout movement between the 18th of September and the 18th of December. Each Sonic scratch card will carry three questions on the theme of speed, reveal three correct answers, and you can win a prize. So no, it doesn't say that the scouts are going to do anything. It's just going to benefit just, the scouts. Yeah, just, well, I presume they would come around selling them. I mean... Or maybe, you know, sell them outside shops or supermarkets or... Yeah, you know. maybe. Uh, scouts who take up the Sonic Speed Challenge, which is where they take part in special speed challenges within their local groups, such as setting new time records for typical scouting activities, like putting up tents, lighting fires, tying knots, and running relays, they can win a limited edition Sonic Woggle! 
I oh. should have looked on eBay for the limited edition Sonic Woggle before oh. we convened, but I haven't. Uh, I don't see any Sonic Woggles, no. sadly. I oh, see what I sad. believe is somebody who has homemade one here by bolting a Lego figure onto a Woggle. But uh, okay. oh, oh, yeah, for the American listeners, a Woggle is Not just uh, for them. I don't know. Either. <laughs> oh, you didn't know? No, a Woggle is a, a plastic clip that's used to hold a tie together, as opposed to actually tying it. Yeah, a necktie. Yes. I had one for brownies. Did you? Yes. Oh. Yeah. I th- obviously, I thought it was just a Scouts thing. I thought it was no. something they were weirdly into rather than an actual necessary... I was quite proud of having a woggle. Oh. All right, well, <laughs> feel free to have a woggle whenever you want. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh, I spilled tea everywhere. Tissue, <laughs> please, Abby. The Shots. Jungle Strike and Micro Machines in at number one and two, respectively, on the Mega Drive. We've seen uh, reviews and news about them. No surprise to see them shoot in at number one. Everything else is just basically bumped down a spot from before. With uh, then Robo Alest mm. oh, and yeah. Time Gal, which we saw in the review section a few issues ago on the Mega CD. I wonder what Robo Alest is. No, don't know. Should have looked it up. Mega CD still only up to nine titles at this point. We haven't clocked the full top ten yet. No, but we're getting there. I suppose Nearly. This is a, you know, it's better than the... I remember the early days of the GameCube. It was a very long time before game number four came out. <laughs> Sonic! And this issue, we've got Super Sonic, written by Nigel Kitching, art by Richard Elson. <laughs> <laughs> Letters by Ella Fell. Sonic and Tails are called in to help a disaster relief team clean up the oil ocean zone. But when Sonic is ambushed by an Aquis, I nearly said Equus, which is the thing where Harry Potter f***s a horse. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm silly this moment. I'm going to have to dial back just a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, start again. Sonic and Tails are called in to help a disaster relief team clean up the oil ocean zone. But when Sonic is ambushed by an Aquis Badnik and surrounded by a raging fire, he transforms into the Berserker Super Sonic. After bopping the Badnik, the deranged Super Sonic tries to finish off the animal inside until Tails calms him down and he reverts back to normal. Well, here we go. Now we're talking. Uh. So much going on here. But number one, first page, first panel, kaboom. Right there in the credits, the reason Abby's here today. This Mm -hmm. is the first issue of Sonic the Comic drawn by artist Richard Elson, who would essentially go on to become, we've mentioned his name in previous episodes, the comic's defining artist. Yeah, he. and if if you're not looking at this, reading along with us, listener, take it from me, there is a jump in quality this oh, issue yes. the art in this issue is ridiculous how good it is Richard Elson of course it ended up being consistently one of the best artists oh, on absolutely. the comic and, and because we had him uh, we in the football team supporter sense yes. STC was just one of the best drawn comics on the rack That's it. for quite a lot of the time it was out um, but he doesn't start out weak this issue's art is so far above what we've come to think of as normal mm. Um, and he will only get better from this is yes. already great, yeah. but he'll only get better. But I think I, I think I want to be a bit more specific. Richard can draw and color, you know, a bit better than the others so far. But what really makes this stand out as a change of quality is, I think, sort of the level of thought put into the um, what would be a good word for it? The direction here, camera angles, mm. that sort of thing. This is the first time we've seen a Sonic strip with as much with as much imaginative energy put into its art as Shinobi. 
Uh, storytelling yeah. as well. The storytelling. Yeah. That's a good word. The, I mean, the storytelling is, it's an interesting thing, because, no, again, this is an, another Nigel Kitching story. And Nigel yes. Kitching's written two issues previous to this, and in each of them, we've talked about how he basically came in and blew the doors off with his own big ideas that would carry forward into future issues that would inform things that would be identified as iconic elements of the comic, and the portrayal of Supersonic as sonic's mr hyde his incredible hulk that's an all that's all kitching as far as we know right that yep, didn't that we know that didn't come out of sonic too. stay sonic or anything so that's no nope. and i remember this um for even from when i was a child when i read this was the sense of thrill and excitement i had at this idea yeah but also the disappointment that i had that it's only as normal it's only a seven page strip Oh. And Kitching hits this strip in particular with a really, really strong sense of cinematic, well-paced storytelling um, that builds up to the reveal that means Sonic transforms on page 5, does some supersonic stuff on page 6, and then turns back on page 7. It's all over very quickly. True, it uh, is, but doesn't Nigel pace it well? That's my point. Uh, tying mm. in with the art, the story has probably more than any previous issue really, in those first five pages at least, got room to breathe and stage its action in an exciting, dynamic way that really builds up the story. Yeah, so what we've got is we've got a writer who can write comics well, and that's not just, you know, the dialogue's good. It is the pacing, it's making sure you know what can fit on one page. Paired with an artist who's just incredibly capable of delivering that in a way that... You know, there's none of the little questions we've had about some of the previous things in in Hmm. previous uh, issues, like uh, sometimes we've said, like, well, how was that person knocked out between panels and why are they over there now? There's none of that. It's very, very clear what's going on all the time. This jumping quality did not need to happen. The comic was fine before. I don't know whether... I don't know whether Richard Burton, the editor, not the actor, um, hired Richard Elson deliberately to improve the quality of the art, or whether this is just how Richard works, even on Mm. something that, frankly, barely matters. You know, we're fans of STC, but it didn't matter in the big picture. And either way, this was the moment STC really just established itself as something that was going to be very good, regardless of whether you were a fan of Mega Drives or not. This is the dream team. Uh, um, I need to stress it. Kitching and Elson together mm. were were the creative team who would define Sonic the comic and its direction yeah. right up to the very end. They're why it's something still worth talking about now, why yeah. we've spent our lives remembering this as something we not not were fans of, but remain fans of. Yeah. <laughs> if this if these two guys had never come together, there's every chance that this comic would never have taken on the identity and the popularity and the longevity that that it wound up having. Yeah. It, it really can't be understated the significance of this issue, and it—I mean—and and it's like to have that, and then also for the third catching story in a row to be straight in there introducing something that would also be an iconic identifying aspect of Sonic the Comics' unique take on Sonic yeah. the character, the the Mister Hyde Supersonic. Uh, it's seriously next level stuff so early on. This is the first time I ever recognize an artist from something else. Oh, really? So Because you read his I, turtles already. Yeah. So you're yes. looking at this going, it's the turtles guy. Well, I I was reading it and I, I remember very vividly seeing the panel, see Sonic getting hit here, the way Rich draws the We're mouth. We're looking at page three now yeah. with Sonic being blasted from behind by the badnik. Mm. And I, I just thought that's really familiar. And I remember pulling out my old 
you know, the British prints of the Archie comics and then they would alternate between the British issues and then the Archie ongoing mm. story. And I found him and that's that that's the first time I knew an artist's name. Mm. Really, is when I yeah, found Rich I, in was there. It, yes, I think it was mine as well. I don't think I've ever known the names of people who made my yeah. comics up till this point. And this was the point at which, okay, I was older, so maybe that's part of it. But I just needed to know who these people were. I needed to understand the continuity between these things. I mean, this is this comic is why I ended up becoming a cartoonist, definitely. Yeah? Like, this I, issue? I, it was the start of it. Yeah. The little details that he put in. I'm not even, I don't even think Rich was a Sonic fan. No, he was a Mario guy. He was a Mario guy. <laughs> but the little details, like on that first page, just look at how he's drawn the plane. Yeah. He's got the little symbol on the on the back there. He's got the little Sonic written in. I don't know who Red is, but he looks cool. Yeah. I, I, I like how Rich draws like incidental characters like yeah. that. He knows how to match the style. We've talked about yeah. this in some previous issues where mm. some artists can't quite do it, but he's making it work. The oil ocean zone looks great. The badnik looks great. Oh. What a little jerk. He's just... Hovering around, being a complete tool, just like they are in the games, <laughs> following you about. It, it all looks great, and Supersonic looks great. Uh, and I, I, I love it. I just want to... Chris won't know this, but <laughs> we do have... It is signed by Richard this Oh, hey, look at that. Yeah. And, nice. the and then Nigel's at the bottom. Oh, look at that. You can tell he was the writer and not the artist. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's go through the story and see what we can find. So, the fire is being tackled at first by what appears to be human firefighters, but then one takes off his protective helmet and he's a lion called Red. Or, or at least he's wearing a badge that says Red. I don't think anyone actually calls him that. Uh, um, does later on. Yeah. And um, that's funny, isn't it? Aren't the animals of Mobius small and fluffy other than Sonic and Tails? Is this the first instance of sort of other tall animal characters in STC, which of which there will be yeah, more movies? I think I would say so, yeah. It's not a yeah. perfect match for the style or anything, but it's certainly a better match than we've seen in, in previous issues, definitely. Well, it fits together and there's an element of deliberateness about it. Before, it was just like, today we're having some Disney animals, today we're having some Sega animals. This is like... Here is another kind of guy that could exist in this world, and it, it just fits. It fits his style well. It fits the style well. I love the Badnik when Sonic says, don't dare come at me from the front, eh? And the Badnik says, of course not. I'm not stupid. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Again, it's, it's writing Badniks as, like, little grumpy people. I really like that approach. <laughs> I love that bit when he when he sets the, uh, the the oil on fire then later and he goes, Frying tonight! <laughs> <laughs> and then we have um, a Sonic death fake out. Sonic mm. is uh, standing in a pool of oil. He's standing in the oil ocean, if you will. And uh, yeah, the, the Badnik shoots fire at it. And it looks like he has died in that. And that this is where, in this issue we get supersonic from there's a death fake out and then in the in the blaze outbursts this giant apparition that is the yellow sonic now if you don't know so in the games supersonic is just if you collect all the chaos emeralds by doing the special zones and you get 50 rings you can turn yellow and now you're faster and invincible um nigel has both nigel and richard have transformed him here because nigel has turned him as as you said into a into a Mr. Hyde. Um, although not, and this I, I think is key, even though he's incredibly powerful and out of control, which is the, the big change that Nigel came up with, it's not the Hulk. He still has that wisecracky nature that Sonic has. So it is a super Sonic rather than just, you know, copying a trope that there is. Because yeah, he, yeah, he could. Uh, Sonic corrupted. 
Yeah, because you could accuse this of being, oh, he wanted to write the Hulk. I don't think that's what it is. Yeah, it's if not he, well, uh, Hulk smash. It's not. He doesn't exactly. lose. His, he doesn't lose his intelligence or his uh, his cognitive ability. That's exactly it, and that makes it all the more chilling when having bopped a badnik and out comes the little animal. The little rabbit, maybe Johnny Lightfoot, maybe not. The little rabbit pops out and goes free at last, and Supersonic goes, "Don't worry, little buddy." This is only going to hurt for a second. And comes shooting and blazing round towards him, crackling with lightning and fire, to just just destroy him bodily. We don't know exactly what he's going to do, but it's going to be bad. And that, and, and the death fake out, in which, you know, Red, like, puts his arm round Tails and comforts him that says, like, I'm sorry, I think he's gone. This felt like a growing up of the Sonic strip. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's a nicely little, drawn. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, you mentioned that Richard uh, redesigned him to, in a sense, um, the most famous thing was the spiraling eyes. Yeah, <laughs> they're just big pink twirls. They don't quite line up. They're going not off in different directions, as it were, but nearly a little bit. And yeah, this is a monstrous version of Super Sonic. Crackles with lightning. I mean, no, he would only grow more monstrous as the series would uh, mm. grow along. I mean, he's really as rendered in this issue. He's just a yellow Sonic. He doesn't actually have the uh, physical difference that even the game character would have from the beginning of the the spike shifting in a different direction. But future issues would, would bring that in. It'll be a long time before we would see Richard draw Super Sonic again. Yeah, I suppose you're oh, right. Gosh, yeah. Hmm. Um. I think you're up to issue, issue 50, maybe, nearly? I think, yeah, Gosh, it is really. 50. And I mean, having read this, uh, this issue particularly, but also when Supersonic comes back later, it's always, uh, the real Supersonic has always landed to me as, as kind of wet in terms of mm. yeah. the way he looks and his design. Like, he's just yellow. And I recognize, you know, it's a Dragon Ball Z reference. And that's what they were doing. So to Japanese kids, I guess, it was like, yeah, Cool, we get this, we know what this is, it's shorthand, it's the equivalent of, you know, turning Sonic yellow and making his head, his spikes stick up is the equivalent of giving him a, a cape and little pants. That's well, how you draw a superhero version of the character. In the Mega Drive era, I always enjoyed Super Sonic, although I think that was, actually, you know, I think, I think to be honest, that was probably because of Sonic the comic. When mm-hmm. I would unlock Super Sonic, it'd be like, in my, you know, in my mind, because as we've talked about before, yes. the comics were the true Sonic to us. They yep. accurately represented the world of the game. So to me, in my mind, as I played the games, when I would unlock Super Sonic, this was what I was unlocking. And he would glow and crackle. And the only thing he was missing were the were the eyes. Especially um, if you were if you were um, hypersonic in Sonic Three and Knuckles. Yes. He even had that thing where if you pressed one of the buttons in mid-flight, he would just like flash around and I sort of interpreted that as being really twitchy <laughs> but nowadays like in the in the post adventure exactly, era it's just the yellow drive. sonic they just yeah. see, he's just the thing they save for you to turn into for the final boss fight and the reason is you can see the texture of him now on the mega drive it was just a sprite it was interpretable in various ways but now you can see that his skin is made of the same stuff and not fire or whatever you might imagine it to be. It's just yeah. a bit boring now. Yeah. Especially when it's just the last level. Yeah. It's, it's not yeah. as... Like, it was fun on the Mega Drive because you had to work really hard to unlock it. Yeah. And the earlier you unlocked it, the cooler you felt. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> generally you were... You know, if you if you only had Supersonic right at the end, what was the point? I mean, for, for most of my childhood, I just used the cheat, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> 
I think Richard's version of Sonic here is really nice, but I think particularly he's just nailed Tails right away. Yes. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. His Tails is just instantly really cute. He's got that big forehead. It's just lovely. He lands straight lovely. away as if yeah. he's been drawing these characters for years and years. Yeah. yeah. Certainly when I close my eyes, it's Richard Elson's Tails that I see if I imagine Tails. Mm. <laughs> I think it's quite the case with Sonic because, you know... There's been Sonic is the mascot yes. character. There's so There's many so iconic many. standalone yeah. pieces of art. One thing I do notice though, blue eyelids. Blue eyelids. Blue yeah. eyelids. I have to keep an yeah. eye on that because you and I feel both pretty sure he drew them flesh tone later. I keep think an eye so. Out. Keep an eye out I for that. I think so. But it's an easy, you know, you have to make the decision one way or the other, and mm. it's at this early stage pretty much fifty-fifty which one you pick. Um, yes, he's also drawing the spikes a bit differently than we would do later. He's got two definitely on the head, one definitely on the body, and one that kind of is on the body more than on the head, which yeah, which doesn't shake out. As the, the two. But hey, first go round, it looks so natural, it looks just right. Look, you can see one of the little cannons from the oil oceans. Yeah, the little the round background. cannon things that yeah. pop you out. Shot around by. That's it. This is a meticulously referenced yeah. issue, isn't it? It also seems uh, like it's really thought it out and expanded it into a three-dimensional yeah. world in a way yeah, that he, no, he's no put other... put it all together mm. as, a, as a real place. In a way that yeah. no previous issue has uh, has put all the elements together. Normally, you know, it just amounts to like a loop in the background or some spikes or something, but, but here it's like... Because you look at even some of like the 3D Sonic games yeah. when they reimagine a classic stage, it takes the form of narrow floating paths they don't know how to translate the world of of sonic into three dimensions and this succeeds at that more than anything we've seen yeah it's it's amazing to look at it's it is the oil ocean zone yeah there's no he hasn't embellished it with anything that wouldn't fit there um i'm not about to compare it to a sprite sheet and see if he's made up anything at all (laughs) and when you think about it it's such a fantastic uh fit for the character of supersonic it's really only dawning on me now but purples and yellows and fiery oranges are the, are right. the, the colors of the oil ocean zone the color with those sickly perfect. green buildings in the background it's it's a it's an ill angry yes. flaming looking zone and yeah. does not so, I, I want to say one of the sonic poster mags did did another supersonic story that might have also been in the oil ocean zone although i do remember that the cover of it again had a flaming orange background hmm. right Huh. There's one more little art detail I just want to bring up yeah. that's really nice. And I've always liked this. Uh, right on the last page, just the little bunny yeah. cuddling up to Red, hiding behind Red's uh, leg there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just oh, so nice. nice. I mean, yeah, this thing is full of lovely little details. Yeah. And... So this being the Richard Elson debut issue, obviously we're mostly going to talk about that. I'm gonna I'm gonna sing some Nigel praises though. Yeah, we've got some lovely turns of phrase here. I oh I do like um, when Supersonic blasts out of the and he comes blasting through fire. That is mm. Supersonic's introduction. He yeah. comes blazing through a fire, grinning and swirling and going rah. Um, and uh, Red says, "What on Mobius is that?" Now we haven't had much mention of Mobius up till now, have we? definitely had it at all oh, i'm sure i'm i'm pretty sure like the tag on the first issue said like it identified the story as taking place on the planet mobius yeah. i think we've had it in captions like you know yeah, on yeah. the planet mobius sonic this and that but they don't mention it a lot and here it is just dropped as like casual as you like we all just yeah this is mobius and of course by this time as readers either reading just the comic or stay sonic as well or just generally being interested we're all or the instruction we're all book. settled mm. into the fact that this is place is called mobius and yeah 
here it is. This is just that knowledge that you went into these stories with because you'd played the game and you knew Sonic from being a mascot yeah. character and you read the instructions or whatever and you, you knew these things. Yeah, and between that and the the fact that this story is about Supersonic, the Oil Ocean Zone, this is Nigel making sure that he's writing for this series rather mm-hmm. than just any. Mm. Say, you know, he's taking the components that this comic has and he's making them pop and he's making yeah. them into the thrust of the story in a, in a way that fits together cleverly. This is great, isn't it? The actual in-story explanation for why Sonic turns into supersonic in this is that uh, Hulk style, in a moment of stress, he taps into all the ring energy that he's absorbed over the years. That's the explanation that the story provides, but future issues will elaborate on the origins of supersonic. And Tails uh, says something along the lines of he's only ever seen this once before, and it Mm. was... Does he say when exactly that yeah. was? What was the stressful situation? He doesn't, but, you know, I mean, I think the, the audience is left to understand that it was in Sonic 2 when we know it Sonic, was in Sonic first 2. appeared. You know, that's the, For storytelling reasons, I would put it, at, like, you know, around the last boss. You know, he's at his last ebb, and then he picks up one ring... There's there's no rings in the death egg zone. No, that's true. (laughs) You're a cheater. Are you a cheater, Dave? Well, yes. Use my debug mode. (laughs) I mean, I did, so yeah. (laughs) But yes, I... I, um, uh, I was a double with the debug mode. I didn't like the debug. Didn't you? It scared me. Oh, you. Yeah. What was scary about it? I don't know. It just was messing with the game in a way I didn't like. And I was very unsettled by game is going wrong back then uh, I, I did me. find it a little odd as a concept all i ever really did use it for was to to make rings to, to turn myself into supersonic <laughs> Do after doing the after doing the cheat to make supersonic <laughs> do you remember when um when the debug mode was sort of still a new thing we didn't know much about i have this memory of it being described and i don't know if this was in magazines or if this was you know on games master or if this was just colloquially among us being described as like you can make sonic turn into anything like sonic can turn into rings he could turn into ring monitors you know nobody quite knew how to explain a debug mode. no i didn't know what it meant at all yeah i just just thought through some weird video game magic you just messed with it and i didn't like it i didn't like i thought it would break the game <laughs> i was pretty scared of games back then like, sonic was when i started to settle down a bit but well if you think about it the whole thing starts with a voice of people shouting at you well, i mean you know marble garden not marble garden i always call it I that know, marble zone yeah i was never keen on chase sequences so the lava coming after you mm. even though it's the slowest lava uh, oh but that's, Christmas Day frightened me. That these day. little <laughs> frights were why yeah. we were into games, I think. Oh, yeah, I think yeah. it was an important component of early gaming is that you were a little bit unsettled mm. by it and that made it exciting. Oh, it's so good. I'm just looking at the pages and, and just, <laughs> I can just remember how I felt when I picked it up. Yeah. It is the first strip in a whole issue that truly represents an evolution for the comic mm. uh, very early on in its life that uh, essentially ensured its place in, in history. Mm. Yeah. So, um, did either of you find a drunk Shimoda this issue? Incredible! Drunk Shimoda! Oh, <laughs> uh, what now? I don't think I did. <laughs> Me and Abby enjoy listening to a podcast called The Greatest Generation, which is an episode by episode Star Trek oh, podcast. Great. And in the very first episode of TNG, there's just this extra called Shimoda, and he gets drunk. And he just well, he he's taken apart the engine basically. <laughs> yeah, he, like he's taken out all the isolinear chips. So ever since then, every episode they find whoever they think is having a bit more fun than anyone else, some background character maybe who's doing something interesting. And for me, 
It was at the end of page two. Okay. After uh, <laughs> Sonic has whooshed away the giant jet of flame, there's this little guy just doing a big flourish in the background. Hey. <laughs> well, he's, he's thanking him. He's waving at Sonic. I, I guess so, so yeah, but it, yeah. it's like doing almost like a bodybuilder sort of power. <laughs> yeah, there's a little... <laughs> Isn't and then it? his his little friend hiding behind hey, a wall just nearby as well. Yeah. <laughs> I love these guys. We didn't mention it actually, but but again, even just the way that Sonic puts out the fire is emblematic mm. of the way that Kitching would find new things to do with the idea of Sonic's speed. Like up till now, we yes. just he just runs fast. But in this case, he um, he runs around this jet of flame so fast that he creates a vacuum around it and it puts the fire out. And we yeah. would see Sonic pulling more and more tricks like that as the series went on. Ways well, that that's it. made his uh, flash-like almost. You know, Newton tricks yeah. like yeah. The, the Flash would do to... I mean, I, I don't remember if Sonic ever like vibrated his molecules to, to move through a wall or anything. Like but but he, yeah, yeah, To he make would, his Insta-Shield, he did. He did, yeah. yeah. He would vibrate air molecules to make the shield from Sonic 3 or... Nulsa to escape from ropes. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He, he vibrated oh. his way out of some ropes once. There you go. That, yes, or, I um, mean, yes, up until now in this comic, Sonic's speed has just been um, not even uh, not even like a convenient way of getting him a long distance. It's really just been a running gag. It's just this thing it's that just, he does. Yeah, we'll just drop a mention to it, say that now he needs to eat a lot mm. of burgers or, you know, cool his feet off or say words really fast or whatever. But here... Yeah, Nigel is determined again, yeah. as with as before. He's taking the elements of this franchise and he's using them to tell stories, and that's what made this comic so good. He turns mm. it into like a genuine superpower that's part of Sonic's identity and not just mm. this thing that he also does. Yeah, I mean, didn't he he go this direction with Super Sonic because he didn't like the idea that Sonic just had a. a Get out of jail free card. Yeah, a more just... powerful mode. <laughs> yeah. He he, he described it as floor. he described it as Power Rangers thinking yes. um, <laughs> at one point. Where it's like, All right, we can't beat this, let's just press oh, the, the button that makes it yeah. more powerful. Yeah. Um And it, it's a good take. It's it, you know, it gave the comic its own identity. Yeah, I mean and certainly that's why I don't find Supersonic as he's presently depicted in, in the games mm. or as he ever was in Archie interesting at all. No, what's the point? Yeah, it's just mm. it's just the it is the power up get out of jail yeah yeah this is you know great power comes with a great price in, the, in Sonic the mm. comic right shall we move on to the review zone review yeah. zone review zone yeah, review zone and we've got a Shinobi 3 review uh, treating its readers quite personably here I thought admitting that Yes, other magazines beat them to the punch reviewing this one, but explaining that it's worth doing again because the game has been almost completely rewritten. Which is interesting because, yeah, I guess that must have happened sometimes. It probably still does, but at least now we understand that games change right up to the minute, whereas back in the day when it was literally printed to like a physical piece of hardware Mm. in the form of a cartridge, we did sort of assume that if anyone had played it, it was going to be exactly what would land on our shelves when such a thing did happen. It also says that the bosses at the end of each level are gorgeous. Now, we all knew what that Ooh. meant, but with yeah. no mention of graphics anywhere in the review beforehand, maybe they're just really gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> Again, a strange sum up in the boxes, you know. Raves, yeah. great new play touches in the latest of a superb series. Graves follow in the Shinobi style of play. 
Yeah. What, what, so it's what's, like, is it, is it, a, with that? Is that like a soft way of say saying it's, it's more of the same? Yeah. 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 Frankly, I'm far more interested in the make my video NXS oh, for the Mega CD. Yes. <laughs> I, I looked some of this up and what it is, is that you are directing a music video or mm. rather you're like, you know, yeah. making a playlist essentially of clips. But you're not just doing that. You don't just have like raw footage of the band NXS. Does do anyone remember that band? I remember yeah. the name, but <laughs> I same. can't swear that the reason that I remember the name isn't because I read it in this issue. So, yeah. <laughs> like, I just, I don't know, it sounds like it's a load of rubbish, but the thing I just love, <laughs> the thing I just love. All right, the, Mr. Uh, Old Fash from Basingstoke, no bad No, winner. I don't mean that the band sounds like a load of rubbish, I mean the game sounds like a load of rubbish, because, oh. um, again, the, the grave section of the this review is... Not really a game. This is literally <laughs> what it says. So I mean, I so I looked. At, I, I had a look at parts of this, and yeah, between the putting together of the video, they've tried to pad it out by, and it says this in the review, by having some some girls playing pool or something. House rules: you got to control the table to pick the music, and we're playing till somebody out there makes the ultimate in excess video. Start suggesting that they'll maybe date you if you're good enough at making a video for in excess. Really? If you can do better than that i'll show up in a whip cream bikini and um oh well i don't know if it's stated so explicitly but there are these two guys and you can see them in the in the yeah. picture at the top there well almost just about yeah they're quite compressed <laughs> yeah. and um they are like actually i quite liked their performance so they're stood there going like oh, whoa and they're trying to date these girls or something and uh, but if you do the video badly, thing well, may- maybe this always happens, I don't know, but things start going wrong for them and they'll fall over or get into fights. Certainly the one on the right there, he gets punched by somebody at some point. I think the girl, I think he says something pervy at her and she punches him and he falls over. Hey, babe. Here one, sweet little pastry. <laughs> How about let me put some sugar on your bun? <laughs> And Gunstar Heroes is the third review on this one. Another one I didn't play, but that I know no. from reputation is generally considered one of the, the top Mega Drive games, isn't it? Mm. Is it? I certainly know it's meant to be good, and I've seen that some of the animations are, are lovely. I think I've watched it's it. It's on our collection, I believe. Is it? Yeah. Oh, well, let's have a go. I like the Raves and Graves for this one, because it Raves is unbelievable palm sweating, heart-pounding action, and then the Graves is... Non-stop action. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. Non-stop action. Make up your mind. <laughs> uh, it's non-stop. <laughs> Just in brief, we do have a page advert for Micro Machines. I feel like we've covered that thoroughly. I never played it. You never played Micro I Machines? I never played Micro Machines. Good golly heck. Even though I know you're a fan of, of one person who's, who's in it. Are you aware of this? No. You know Violet Berlin is in the game. <gasps> Oh, that's no. right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> One of my earliest lady crushes. Yeah. Oh, my word. I love Violet Berlin. I didn't know that. She was, yeah. one, of the, she was one of the drivers, yeah. That's Aww. right, yeah. little sprite <laughs> over. I remember that now. Yeah, she gets a little cartoon sprite. That's She's called awesome. Violet, I think. Oh, my God. I bet she loved that. <laughs> Actually, it was Micro Machines 2. Kid Chameleon Part One. No, yeah, subtitle no subtitle on this series. This is this becomes the uh, the the running theme as far as I can remember going forward, at least for you know first installments of things. Kid Chameleon Part One, written by Michael Cook, with art by Brian Williamson and colors by Steve White and letters by Ellie Deville. 
Hoping to get to know Susie, the new girl at school, better, video game expert Casey heads to the local arcade, where the new virtual reality game Wildside is making waves. After Susie's escorted into Wildside by Casey's nemesis, Brad, Casey follows, only to find himself trapped inside the game, where the virtual reality seems very real indeed. Mumbling to himself, Casey inadvertently says the magic word, chameleon, unlocking the strange new power he's going to need to survive Wildside, the power to transform into super-powered warriors. I looked up Michael Cook, uh, the writer here, and, and it's difficult. It's such a common name, it's difficult mm. to find out what he's done. He's done, you know, 2018, the usual stuff. Um, the interesting thing when you Google him is it says Michael Cook, author of the Koran. Uh, probably not that Michael Cook, then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's a far more modern Michael Cook no, than the, the one who wrote uh, the Quran. <laughs> the creative team on this one again. It's some seasoned 2080 professionals, mm. Mm. and it shows. I think oh, this uh, this is a very 2080 comic. This strip, I, I don't know what it is about it. Something about the tone just hit me as 2080. The fact that it feels a little bit like I'm dropped into something that's already going on. Oh yeah, I mean um, the, the story begins in Medias Res, mm. where we have Casey inside Wildside already, and then flashback to show how we got here. I mean, to be honest, I had to go as I was reading it. I had to go back and count the number of pages, but it is only mm. the standard five-page strip. When I say seasoned professionals, I mean this is a creative team that really knew what they were doing. There is so much crammed into this absolutely it really it really comes across this is mm. great this kid chameleon was always one of my favorites and i'm glad to see going back and reading it again that i was right <laughs> it <Yeah>. is great <laughs> and it's and it part of why it's great is that it's one of the grown-up feeling ones i think with this honestly with this issue we've really just landed two feet in what feels like an older kids comic mm. um, yeah we've now aged I up a little now, there was a time later on um, where I think they dialed back on that a bit and oh, they yeah. went they in for a, sure, yeah. definitely. a few more younger kids things. And I, at the time, being an older kid, resented that. Yeah. I take that back now. It's like, yeah, sure. Give the kids their Sonic. But at the start, they were definitely going for a range of ages. Mm. Yeah. It was a perfect marriage of two mm. different things because here you have the 2000 AD brand essentially covering Sega, which was, mm. you know, at the time advertising to the audience that the PlayStation would later. And it was it was the older brother audience, mm. and this comic was for the younger siblings who wanted to be like yeah. the older mm. brothers. The 2080 pedigree is probably most on show by how much it is that it's able to communicate in the course of its five pages, because because uh, it's a, it, there's an art to it. Uh, it's something that yeah. a lot of British creatives coming up in the world of 2080 learned much more so than American creatives in their 20 page uh, stories. Um, and you can you can see when you look at it, it's how, it's how uh, dialogue heavy it is with narration boxes from Casey that don't ever crowd out the pages or panels, or the, but no. communicate a lot of information. Um, and there, I mean, there's there's quite a high volume of panels per page as well uh, on some on some of the what's there. There's like there's a good six panels on that one, but not the traditional six panel grid. You know, there's even the um, there's the forbidden layout there happens a few times. Tall panel next to two landscape ones. It happens twice on page three, but I mm. at the time when I was reading it, not I don't mean in the nights, I mean like yesterday when I was reading this, yeah. it didn't occur to me that that was what it was. No, it, it didn't really, so yeah, because uh, it's it's done the better way where the tall panel is on the left and then the landscape panels are on the right. It's the the other way is the true forbidden way. <laughs> so if anyone is either jumping in and this is your first episode of this that you've listened to, or we just haven't adequately explained it before, two thousand AD is a, a comic that basically had been running for a long time and was like 
I don't know. It was like the um, the mine that British comics creatives had been chipping away at and learning their craft. And its brief stories really forced writers to learn how to cram a satisfying amount of story into a very small number of pages. And the artists to be able to, you know, when presumably the writers would occasionally overstuff their scripts, to put all of that across. It, it just, basically everyone coming out of that comic was a master of their craft uh, with to actually talk about kid chameleon itself i think one of the reasons that the strip was one of my personal favorites is because it is essentially uh, it's the dungeons and dragons cartoon for the video game generation oh you're right yeah. gosh <laughs> there's no suggestion that this virtual reality video game is anything other than a normal man-made video game but when casey goes in a voice speaks out at last a truly worthy opponent welcome chameleon and uh, he can't get out, and the world changes around him, and everything's real. It's uh, and, and um, just personally speaking, like I've always loved and continue to love today stories that um, toy with the idea that um, that the fantastic and the terrible is just there, just out of reach. You know, it's just like mm. it's just it's just in, hiding in the places in the world that we can't see, just round the corner, just round you know. And so, Kid Chameleon always really grabbed me like that. We've talked in previous issues about the sort of uh, archetypical 90s cool that Sonic the Hedgehog represented and Kid mm. Chameleon is another embodiment of that with his glasses and his leather jacket and his skateboard. He's just the advert guy, isn't he? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is they're all the same guy, aren't they? Here is the cool dude of the 90s. Although the funny thing is that the story chooses to not take him in that direction as a character. He That's is right. presented as being the, the like the video game recluse who stays in and, and plays video games and doesn't know how to talk to the girl and um, and the, hmm. there's the big guy called Brad. Yeah, who's you just automatically yeah. like I had to go back. Like, He's all neck and hair flop. <laughs> it's very American, but it's, it's yes, not, but it's not American. Because the no. characters do all very clearly speak British slang. Yeah, there's no way you can like voice over this in American. But I did have to flip back and make sure that Brad wasn't wearing, you know, like a Letterman jacket, like something so quintessentially <laughs> thick-necked American jock quarterback bully Flash Thompsony. I mean, he he pretty much is. He pretty much is, but he's not. You know? <laughs> I don't think I've ever met a British Brad. Have you? I never met a. No. Don't think I've ever met a Brad. <laughs> no. It's, it, it is itself a very American thing. Um, yes, it's... I, I suppose the precedent for this is Michael J. Fox, isn't it? In um, mm, Back mm. to the Future. He was supposed to be cool, but also could play underdog when it came up. The idea that you sat in your room and played video games... Well, the, the commercials told you that was cool. <laughs> Basically, yes. you know. It wasn't seen as being a weird dweeby shot in nerdy thing to do well that's because we were this is so early on in video games that we hadn't basically we were kids we we weren't yet old enough that there was any problem with us playing video games it was the latest cool thing to do mm. so or not cool thing to do but fun thing to do no there, there really wasn't anything wrong with it and of course it sega and this comic are you know it's in their interest to advertise it as a cool dude thing to do it's <laughs> just when you look at the the second page. Yeah. You don't see much of Casey's room, but to me, that just... <laughs> I can smell that teenage boy room. You know? <laughs> yeah. Just, 
just from the colours, you know. That's that's he's been in there all the day. Links is thick he's in been the in air. there all weekend. <laughs> look at the everything. All, that, the little details. Look at yeah, yeah. Like he's Poster. got he's got Predator, he's got yeah. Aliens, he's got T2. Terminator Two, he's got a Jurassic Park T Rex dinosaur. Like you know that's why the the, the dinosaur is there. And he's got a mum <laughs> who I recognise. Yeah, right. Exactly. I feel like the mum is modelled off an actor. Oh, you, oh, I thought you just meant you recognised her in the sense that she's so uh, Every archetypically yeah. real, you know. I'm not telling you again, no son of mine. No, I actually recognise her face and hair from, from somewhere. Coronation Street or something. Maybe. I love this line, actually, she pulls the plug on his console and he's like, I can't believe uh, you just did that. Four million points, six continues. I'll, I'll ring dad. I'll, I'll ring Childline. Now, is that a subtle suggestion that Mum and dad are not together there. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. 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 You're I, right. I read that as divorced parents, absolutely. Yeah. The arcade when he arrives is is rather abstract. The um the artwork in this is is brilliant. But oh, lovely. It's a very um harsh neon sort of palette. Yes, the, that's right. The actual shapes and colors and general what's being represented is is perfect for an arcade. Couldn't really figure out the actual layout. I'm not sure at what point we're indoors and when we're outdoors. Because yeah. he's skateboarding along and then he, he rolls up and suddenly it's like he's he's indoors. It suddenly. Yeah, we're, he's he's skateboarding because there's the moment a slight incongruity where his mum says, "Go next door to see the girl next door." I've promised her mum that you will, and he goes, "Oh, okay," and he gets on his skateboard and just like goes miles into town and then well, and no, then I mean, we find he, out that he, he, says, he thinks that she He says if yeah. if she's if she liked video games, she'd be at the arcade. So that's where he went. I agree with that. It's just that if my mum said, go next door to see the person who's there, I wouldn't be guessing where they were. I'd go next door. But he goes uh, he goes skating along. He gets to the arcade, trips over something, and, and at some point in the next couple of panels, uh, we end up indoors. I, I confess I'm not yeah. entirely sure when, but that's not a... Uh, this isn't a criticism I want to... No, particularly. I mean, I, I presume it's it's one of those things where like the, the front is open. And he's yes. just basically hit the curb and fallen in through well, the Well, the doorway. difficulty that they have is that they have to depict two entrance doors because you have the entrance to the arcade and then you have the entrance, which is the title screen to the game, mm. to the, uh, the, the, the game mm. itself. Yeah, the virtual reality chamber. Well, uh, the word is holodeck, isn't it? Uh, yes, um, yeah. well, yeah, yeah. In this comic, they've uh, they've sort of put little gaps between the the uh, things on the wall and made them look like sticks. In the game, which for the first time ever I played last night. Cool. Have you ever played it before, Abby? Yeah, I rented it when I was uh, when I was a kid. So you'd seen it before. This was my first time. It is a holodeck. <laughs> it's a hundred percent, definitely a ripoff of the holodeck from the door to the you know the yellow grid on the inside. They're they're doing a holodeck and like hey okay whatever as long as it, they got away with it so we don't have to tiptoe around it like. Yeah, of course See, it's I, a holiday. It, it honestly never truly occurred to me before, but then I guess that's because if I had ever thought of it as a holodeck, then I would think of this as just a, a holodeck goes out of control episode, whereas I much prefer to think of it as the Dungeons and Dragons style thing, where yes. he has genuinely slipped through into somewhere that is not here. Well, and that that, that brings me to the game, because the interesting thing is that the, the game is a very generic platformer. Yeah, it's not actually that great. No, it's not. I quite enjoyed playing it. It's not, it's not like a, a terrible one, but it certainly doesn't stand out against any other games particularly. And there is once you've had the intro sequence and you've established there's a holodeck it's not mentioned again like you are just in you're just, a you're just in a platform yeah yeah and that's you know that that's the story is that's why there's this cool dude looking kid who's in this fantasy world and everything else gets to look like a fantasy world i guess um but in it yeah you you've got uh, Mario blocks in the sky, very much copied from Mario, you know, right down to exactly how they work. And one of the power-ups you get out of them 
is helmets, which mm. when you put them on, turn you into a variety of different characters which have different special moves. In this comic, it just sort of comes upon him, doesn't it? He just yeah. turns into the samurai at the end. Yes, he's, well, he's, he's, he's got to say chameleon. Uh, he, he's trying oh, to. Oh, he's yeah. like he's chanting to himself. So, I mean, it's not super apparent from this issue, but as we'll see in future issues, yet yeah, when he says the word chameleon, that's his. That's the magic oh, word. He transforms. That's very reboot. That, yeah. yeah, it is a bit. Um, he, uh, so he says it there, and the reason that he says it in this comic is because he's just been called chameleon. He goes chameleon, and that does it. Well, he, he's mumbling to himself. He's trying yeah. to. Yeah. He's mumbling himself like a mantra to try and just remind himself that it's dangerous. Is all this stuff that's attacking him? Seems he's trying to convince himself it's not real, right. like it's not real, just an illusion, like bits of glass in a kaleidoscope, mm. like the skin of a chameleon changing colors. So not real kaleidoscope, not real yeah. chameleon. Yeah. chameleon. What's happening? <laughs> Yeah. This ninja samurai who we will find out next issue is called Red Stealth. I remember that. Oh, one. will we? God. Drawing that last panel is so cool. Oh, oh I copied really this so panel cool. and made a little poster that I put on my wall. <sighs> oh, cool. Oh, yes. I don't blame you. Look, look at, at all the Look at all the Kirby heavy dots and He's not he don't look that cool in the game. No, no. you do not. Gotta say. <laughs> no. No, I, I mean, mean that the, guy the, could this guy could show up in Shinobi. Yeah. yeah. This this comic strip just took the, I hadn't played the game before I read the comic strip so mm. in my case it's more like the game wound up not living up to the strip but what the yeah. strip did was it took everything that was in the game and it just gave it a glow up. Well this is the thing I mean the strip is very little to do with the game I mean they've they've just come up with a better idea here. <laughs> well, it's, it's the same conceit as the game kid goes into video game but it provides the backstory why he's there who he is you know him as a person and as a character you know. Well I would say that it the, the approach that they've taken to it is similar to what you would do if you were writing the movie yeah rather than what they've done with some of the other uh, strips in this and sonic which is you know make comics of the thing i just want to point out that um we'll see steve white a lot more Mm. oh is this steve white he ends up doing a lot of coloring later on for sdc yes for a lot of different strips he filled in to do richard's coloring at these ones um a few times i think and i think he colored nigel kitching a few times before we move on from this comic i just wanted to know if abby had uh, noticed the guy on page three which guy on page three? Top right. Oh, yeah, he's wearing a red dwarf shirt. <laughs> he is, I had he? not noticed that. I did That's not great. see that. It's a, they it's snuck a, that in. A t shirt that says <laughs> Smeghead. Oh, I was deep in. I mean, my life at this time was reading STC, watching Red Dwarf, and watching Blackadder. Well, did you ever read Nigel's? Um, Red Dwarf comics? I did. I had one. Yeah, same. Just one. I had one. I think it was difficult to find. Yeah. I asked my mum to get it and she couldn't find it. Well, I I think my mum didn't buy me another issue oh, after yeah, I suspect the same. After I gleefully ran into the like dining room one day showing her the merchandise page <laughs> and I, I waved it in front of her and I said, Look, look, mum, let's get this T shirt where Lister says, Let's get out there and it Because <laughs> I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> I just really liked it. Brilliant. And uh, then I never had another issue of this magazine again. <laughs> so one of my favourites from when I was younger and really excited to just be reading it again because it um, just it just dives straight in there. A lot of ideas in it that I personally have always really enjoyed, but it's just genuinely very exciting, quite kinetic, unusual looking art colour-wise. Doesn't, doesn't look like mm. anything else in the comic. Mm. Mm. Uh, just uh, excited for more. Yeah. News a brief step into the news zone uh, this issue. Game Gear is getting a Game Genie, and uh, they're going on about how much it looks like something out of the Batman films. 
Uh, Damon Hill is back with another photo from that same day again. There's been one, one Sega-based event and they are milking it for all they're worth. I don't remember noticing that Damon Hill was being pushed on me so hard at the time. I managed no. to blissfully ignore him. So we've got yet more uh, Mega Drive controllers here. And this I time... Mean, they don't seem to... Mega Drive controllers, though, do they? They work with the Mega Drive, but those colored buttons seem to indicate. Yes, yeah. there's four different colored buttons, and they mentioned that it might work with. What is it they say? Inferior? <laughs> inferior and some other inferior game systems, yes. Yeah, the, lo <laughs> the Logipad is the world's first games pad with closed micro switches. Well, I'm sure that I knew what that meant when I was 11, and I'm sure that mattered to somebody. But, you know, there was space that needed filled and copy they'd been handed. <laughs> Not only did I not know then, I don't know now, and I've asked around and nobody knows. 2.5 meters of cable, though, way. Yeah. <laughs> I understand that. I understand numbers. <laughs> I like that. Uh, oh, good. I'm glad somebody does. I don't. Um, these controllers don't exist. What we're looking at is concept art. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the one with the arcade-style joystick is some kind of, like, CG mock-up. The, uh, the more classic-looking controller, that's just a drawing. Just a drawing, yeah. The Logipad. It's a nice drawing. Mm. It's very sketchy, very lots of watercolours. It kind of looks like, you know, a design of a, you know... I don't know why I think this, but a car or a trainer. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit see-through. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it looks like it's going to be one of those little bit see-through type ones, mm, certainly. Mm, mm. And we've got news of James Pond 3, uh, oddly named Operation Starfish. <laughs> uh, Starfish Star with a 5. Starfy. Instead of the S. Starfy 5. <laughs> Which makes you think that it's the fifth game, but it isn't. It's the third. Mm. Uh, once again, he's fighting the evil Doctor Maybe, which I now get yeah, for the first time. I got it back then. <laughs> um, enigmatically, they end on... Watch for the unbiased STC review. Yeah, that's a bit weird, isn't it? That's a bit. It's a bit YouTube commenter. It's, it's a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure they'll review it using only facts and logic. But <laughs> you know, it wasn't as good as two. It wasn't. Oh no! It, no. Well, this is the thing. I never played James Pond three or indeed one, but two was a, a huge Amiga staple that literally every Amiga owning kid had. I got three for Mega Drive, and I was very excited about it. Really? And I was. I played it a lot, but. I don't know, something about it didn't have the same annoying personality that made 2 really fun. Well, I, I looked it up and apparently it, this game was going to follow on from James Pond and the sequel Robocod. Uh, this one was going to be called Splash Gordon. They should have, they didn't. They should have, <sighs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, and finally, uh, new releases. There's a list of things that are going to come out in specifically September. September. And uh, and it says, it begins with Christmas is coming brackets. Ah! <laughs> not really sure who they were aiming that at. Yeah, that's no, very that's much like, a parent statement for the there. Parents, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Next page. Amazing but true. Uh -huh. Tony Takushi's what? amazingly got hold of some copies of the book he wrote. What? Um, <laughs> at this point, I must have become aware that this book was STC affiliated. You know, this is, uh, the podcast, this is the book we've talked about in previous episodes. This right? is the yeah, one that yes. I got, and I talked about it as just something I remembered getting. And I don't remember knowing it was STC connected at all, but I must have done, because it's been all over the place. Cool, I clearly didn't read any of this bit of the magazine back then. <laughs> I just skipped the reviews, skipped the news, went straight well, this to the comics. It. Skip the reviews, my darling. Well, we've got a, <laughs> a, double a double We've got a double page spread of adverts. We've got the, mm -hmm. the Sonic 2 competition, but the rest is adverts. There's a Sabutio advert. Yeah. Um, not just Sabutio the game, but like where you can buy like add-on characters that are better for taking corners or something. Oh, and they're £1.70. That's yeah. sweet. And, uh, and then an advert for Paperboy, too. So, yes, this is a very skippable double-page spread mm. here. So let's skip it. 
Streets of Rage. Streets of Rage. <laughs> Part one, written by Mark Miller, art by Peter Richardson, letters by Tom Frame, hotel by Trevino. When Axel Stone, one of the last good cops in a city gone bad, is left near death following a punishment beating from crooked officers, fellow cops Max Hatchett and Blaze Fielding quit the force in protest to take the fight against corruption to the streets. Tipped off by the chief of police, a crime boss known as Hawk has a personal interest in stopping the two. And if that summary don't generally just sound like a little bit more grown up? There is no distinction between the tone and the way this is written and a, an issue of Daredevil or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Aside from, aside simply from the tight five-page pacing. The tight five-page and the ridiculous names of the characters, perhaps. Uh, perhaps. <laughs> I don't know. Other than that, this is pure, yeah. not not even 2080. This is like, I would, I would say this is more American-style storytelling. Uh, the thing that I would compare this most to is an 80s action movie. Uh, yeah. Yes. It's the criminals who really run the town, and the, the cops are all in their pocket, and the only way to affect justice is to go outside the law with your fists and your guns and your friends and it's brutal yeah and and as uh, as opposed to um, kid chameleon this one does read american particularly when you get to yes. the point where they just go down the gun shop and <laughs> buy loads of guns oh, yes. Yeah. yes this is very much set in a, an unnamed american city it's called the city in the opening caption oh the first <laughs> very first sentence in the comic the city 10 minutes in the future Patrolman Axel Stone radios in. That is such a cool opening line. I mean, uh, and again, this is written uh, by Mark Miller, who we've seen do some Sonic work before, but this is so much more emblematic of Mm. the... of the average Mark Miller comic, but with, you know, just enough restraint required for a children's magazine. <laughs> My memory of this is that at the time it was so grown up that I was completely uninterested in it. Oh, I know, I, I loved it, I, but I, I remember being shocked by it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember I being young and being like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say uninterested, but. Uh, it did occupy a strange, you know, place in my mind. It was like it didn't feel like it really fitted with the rest of the comic. A couple of years later, when I must have been, I don't know, 14 or so, I came back to it, read it again, gave it a chance, and this time I remember being really into it. Mm. So it is obviously for the older reader of STC. I, I remember thinking, if my mum found out, if my mum found out about this one, <laughs> you might, might not get not be to allowed read Sonic anymore. anymore. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't even know if when I was younger, if I really understood what was even happening in the first scene, because mm. you know, uh, Axel's responding to distress calls. Then these guys with ski masks and iron bars come out and start laying into him. He's screaming into his radio, "Control, where's the backup?" But there's no response on the other end because, as he recognizes the voices of the people, he realizes that these are policemen in disguise who are and one of them uh, while he's being beaten up one of them shouts hit him hard there's some good violence advice there <laughs> <laughs> these are cops who are punishing him for squealing for grassing up yeah. a, a bent cop there's no way i could have understood this yeah. i was this was so completely beyond anything i could comprehend put this down to white privilege if you like but i was very much at the age when the police were the good guys yeah and that was that where I was coming in from, of course, being in Northern Ireland and everything, oh. where that was a whole other situation, and we right. were, weren't very far away from having our police force dismantled and rebuilt, precisely because oh people God. couldn't trust it, you know? Wow. And this, and you knew about this at that age? No. Didn't have a f- clue. <laughs> <laughs> so then, yeah, they go into the 
chief of police and they throw their guns and badges down on the table. Right out of the 80s action movies again. You know, I'll have your gun and your badge, you know. You can really hear the captain's dialogue, can't you? You know, that Max is down. This precinct stinks! You stink! Every cop's (laughs) on the tick! And then the chief with his legs up on the table. Those are some mighty serious accusations there, Maxie boy. (laughs) Just how you went there to bag that up, man, Yeah, and of course, as soon as they're fired, now he's worried that, oh no, now I can't control them anymore. Mm. You know what, it's it's actually just jumped out to me as well. The first thing he says after they slam the badges is, Max, please, what the hell's going on here? He said the bad word, he said the H word. He did? Yes, he did. I think we've, I don't know what it's like in Ireland with all your Catholics and so on, but uh, (laughs) hell, it took me until the internet when I met my first Americans. To find out anyone thinks hell is a word you shouldn't say. I, I don't think that was a concern in England, mm. certainly. Look, got some good punks. We have got some, got good, some good punks. punks on yeah. That, on that top panel and, there. and the one on the right is indicating himself as a good punk. Hey, yeah. Look at me. I'm a good punk. I'm a cool dude. Yeah. Those guys just right behind him certainly look like they're casing that car yeah. to steal it, don't they? They do, don't they? A lot of good environmental storytelling in that. And is, that one, is there one in the background with a gun? Um, Near the under the stop sign it and to the left. Like a it does actually, yeah. Maybe, oh, maybe it's a mobile phone. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I suppose technically they existed in those days. Can't not mention Max's line at the end of page four. First stop, the gun store. We need some serious firepower. <laughs> it's just... And he says this while putting on shades. Yeah. <laughs> It's so unapologetic. It's, yeah. It knows exactly what it is, this yeah. strip. They're not just going to beat up some bad guys. They're going to go get guns for bad guys. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they're going to the gun store. Why? I mean, they could just punch some bins and phone booths. <laughs> and then we, yeah, we do cut to the, the crime boss, who's called Hawk. And uh, the police chief phones him up and tips him off that this is happening. And we're introduced to the fact that he's got a bird. Well, is it a literal Hawk? Or is it a metaphorical hawk? Oh, yeah, I wonder. That's a good question, actually. <laughs> I always did sort hawk. of assume you know, that it was his pet hawk. But I yeah, don't that, know if we see mm, the hawk again. Oh, oh so you mean yeah. just it might that just could be, be a drawing of a hawk because he is hawk? Yeah, yeah. 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 Just, they just drew a hawk. Yeah. Oh, heck, I didn't think of that. <laughs> could, could well be, yeah. It absolutely could well be. Or it could be that hawk, the crime boss, is just the puppet and he's psychically controlled by a hawk. <laughs> Listen, I saw American Rabbit too, so... <laughs> We've got to talk about the artist. Yeah. Well good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We've not mentioned it yet. The artist is great. Again, another one that looks nothing like the rest of the comic. A really noirish, gritty... I think that that phrase you used back when we were talking about the cover, Dave, you can see what it's made using. Yes. Yeah. You can Mm. really feel the textures. Um, It's... I don't know. I feel like I want to compare it to... You remember how Batman the Animated Series was made by drawing on black paper? I didn't know that. That's how they made the backgrounds in Batman the Animated Series. It was drawn on black paper. And I don't think... I don't know that that's necessarily the case with this, but that's how Batman created that noir feel. And Mm. there's something very similar going on if you look at that that first page there with those buildings and all that, the heavy uses of black and the bold, almost charcoal-y... Uh, lines yes. on the close-ups of the faces. Uh, yeah, I, again, I don't really didn't appreciate it to its full extent when I was younger. I don't. Th- I, I was never a big fan of um, loose line work when I was younger. Took me a long time to get to appreciate it. Like like somebody like John Romita Jr. didn't really enjoy when I was younger. Really, really only came to appreciate their work when I got it's older. Really nice. It just is really great. Yeah, 
Um, yes, I know what you mean. It's really coloured in a way that it looks like darkness is the default and yeah. colour is, you know, what bleeds into it mm-hmm. in this awful city. It doesn't look anything like Kid Chameleon, but Kid Chameleon also goes in very uh, hard on the heavy blacks. Mm. So even though they're two very stylistically different uh, stories, that sort of shared artistic aesthetic touch really sort of ties them together as we head into this new era of the comic together. So I kind of have a brief, nice little story. Ooh. Many years ago when I was first working for 2000 AD, when I first did some colouring for Richard Elson, I'd posted some samples from Kingdom on my old blog spot. Kingdom is the thing that Abby coloured oh, with Richard um, Elson's art. And I got a comment on that blog from Peter Richardson. <gasps> is that the artist? Uh, yeah. Yes. yes. Um, and he was, he was just basically reminiscing about how much he loved Richard's work on STC. Um, but then you say, you know, those days when I was drawing Streets of Rage and my mum nearly disowned me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty sure he... Because it was so violent. Yeah. He couldn't believe how much they got away with. Mm. I think we had, if I remember correctly, I think we had a short private chat in messages after that. Because I was just, oh my God, you're the Streets of Rage guy. Oh. And uh, I think he said that he did a lot of this with felt tip pens. Oh, you know? really? Yeah. Well, that would explain the texturedness of it because yeah. we all know what felt tip pens look like. Yeah. But I mean, it looks like it must be sort of mixed. Yes, I'd say so. Look at the trousers of the guy who's kicking yeah. him on page two. I imagine there's a lot of mixed media because I mean, sometimes yeah. it feels like there's a bit of work over with, you know, coloured pencil maybe. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he was drawing on a page that wasn't much bigger than it shows up in the comic because that's why we get more of a textured look here. Yeah, it could it's be. It's really nice though. It's great. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, I loved it. I mean, it's so. yes, it's an it's an asset to the art, not a drawback. So if yeah. I was him, I would do that too, whatever it is. So that, that's my, my cute story, my brief interaction with the, the guy who drew this, who <laughs> is very cool. It's not quite so pronounced in this first chapter where we get like a hail and we get a bit of punishment beating, but you know, the stuff mm. that this strip will go on to do, mm. it, Streets of Rage is, is right on the line. It's just barely a comic for kids especially the second story arc yes tell you now that second story oh my gosh okay yes there would be three separate streets of rage stories altogether, and a poster magazine i think i think the third story was by nigel it was yes yeah mark miller Um, was long gone by that stage (laughs) one last thing i want to say there's a character missing here there is and uh that's a bit of a shame it is uh the one black member of the cast of the game streets of rage is just completely omitted from the story doesn't exist correct me if i'm wrong and i may well be wrong wasn't skits a streets of rage 2 character we are not talking about skates. No, we're talking Indeed, about his he was. big brother. In really? Streets of Rage 1, there oh. was a playable black character that was Adam. who isn't in this comic. Oh, well, so he wasn't in the sequel then? No. no. Oh, well, I guess that's the reason was, then, isn't it? He was kidnapped in the sequel. Oh. You were trying to save him. That's why his little brother gets in. I guess I must have only ever played two. Well, I guess, I guess so I guess this is another instance. It's like where Golden Axe was technically following on from Golden Axe yeah. 2. Yeah. The idea here is that they've got the cast of Streets of Rage 2 minus yeah. skits mm-hmm. because he's not wasn't a cop and wasn't part of that story so they've, they've yeah. taken, i didn't i didn't know that character existed it would be interesting to find out exactly what led to this being made because i agree yeah they probably were given streets of rage 2 to mostly reference and then had to back formulate it yeah yes, streets of rage definitely was one of the top five all-time sonic the comic strips non-sonic 
It's uh, 25% off computer games. Just one more reason to open a live cash account with Midland Bank. Oh. Now defunct, I believe. <laughs> and uh, but, but what's interesting here is that uh, they've the way that they've illustrated it is with various circles containing screenshots from games. Mm. Um, there's a bit of uh, what's the helicopter game called? Desert, Desert Strike. Strike. There's a not Streets of Rage, but something like it. One of them. That is Streets of Rage. It's the first one. Oh, is it? Yeah. It doesn't look like it. it there's is. a there's a bikey game game there. Oh, I don't know if that is that Road Rush. Don't know, and uh, and there's a bit of uh, Monkey Island uh, there, Yay. which is interesting. That Monkey Island was one of the go-to games. Um, but something interesting about that, it is not a screenshot. It's a painting. It's a drawing, isn't it? Yeah. These are all what? recreated paintings made to look a bit like screenshots from Mega Drive. Or, oh, well, that's or from really games. nice. Huh. Weird, right? That is a little weird. They probably just didn't want to photograph this TV screen. Like yeah, that's the only way before. you could get them back then. So here's what you can do, kids. When you open a Midland Live Cash account, you get your own Live Cash card, which gives you instant access to your money from more than 6,000 cash dispensers throughout the country. You also get a pack of discount vouchers, and for once, they're for things you'd actually want to buy. <gasps> They'll save you up to £11 on many of the top Sega or Amiga games. They'll sit hence Monkey Island mm. they'll save you £5 on any Playhouse or R-Price video they'll save you money on all sorts of things from pizzas and cinema tickets to clothes CDs and cameras and if you're over 16 they'll get you your first BSM driving lesson free and save you £3 off the next five now that's what we call a savings account that's three I, issues of something the comic paid for right there I definitely never read that advert no yeah, I, yeah. it would have occurred to me to glance at it as it like it doesn't even look like it's for the readers of this comic no. it's like it's just put in there this is how we'll get the kids yeah Q zone not a lot going on in the Q zone this time micro machines kid chameleon Mickey no. Mac Cobra Command never heard of that one well, we do have uh, that old chestnut, the if you hold a button in the uh, slot machines in the Casino Night Zone of Sonic 2, then you'll win it. Yeah. Um, I have mm. not been able to determine whether that was actually right or if that's just confirmation bias or what was going on there. It's a bit of a whole B to catch the Pokemon. Yeah. Well, it felt like it worked. It did feel like <laughs> it worked. I'm pretty sure it did work, but it could have just been that that was like how often it was rigged to win anyway. Because... It doesn't matter, does it? It's not like you're gambling. I like that there's no pictures of the Casino Night Zone. I know, <laughs> <Good> right? <point. laughs> They've got like a tiny library of screenshots they can draw Bless from. Them. Yeah, do you remember when they were trying to do a picture of Sonic 2 on, on the, the Master System and they used the <laughs> Yeah, but they put a picture of Sonic 1 on the Mega Drive. Wonder Boy in Demon World Part 5, written by Mark Isles, with art by Boyan Dukak, accredited as MDJ Boyan, with letters by Steve Potter. Chion straps down his demonically infected arm, and with the infection spreading over more and more of his body, heads down into the depths of Grimeman's pit castle. Captives line the walls of the pit, all slowly being turned into demons like Shion is, and when Shion reaches the bottom and confronts Grimeman himself, the demon lord vows that Shion will also become part of his demon army. Foof. 
Yeah, Shion is full on turning into a demon now. Half his face is gone. That does look kind of cool. Um, does a bit. It's still very strange and baffling to me that they've gone with an art style that's nothing to do with the game that they're trying to depict. But if this is the story they're trying to tell, it makes sense. It does yeah. match what they're doing story-wise. It's only moved further away from where it was when it started as well. Yes, I guess because at this point the artist is, you know, has has been accepted and is allowed to just draw it rather than try and resemble the thing. The cutesy <laughs> anime look. Yeah, which, you know, we just didn't understand. I think British artists had not got the hang of at that no. time. But this one actually gets genuinely dark. Like, over on page four, you've got strung up prisoners going, kill yeah. me! I always liked the shininess of everything. Oh, you did? Is, mm-hmm. Right. So... I, I was always quite fascinated by how the artists did these... The, the demons are always very bulbous. The demons... I never really thought of it, but the demons are like balloons strapped together. They're <laughs> very, very muscularly shiny, aren't they? Yeah. We got the big demon at the end. Was it Grammerman? Grammerman. Grammerman. All right. Look at this Tim Curry jerk. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Young Abby was quite fascinated by how naked <laughs> and... <laughs> And buff this guy was. Yeah, I'm it's a medical sure, textbook, isn't he? I'm pretty sure we see his ass at some point. <laughs> that I can't rings remember, a bell, yeah. I have a very like deep memory yeah, of a very bulbous bottom. Musculature of the <laughs> arse. I mean, you can look at his muscles there. <laughs> yeah. We may already have had it in a previous issue, and I maybe, just didn't notice. Maybe. I can't remember. But I do also like his throne room, yeah, which is scattered with lots of little in-jokes. Well, let's do this. Yeah, what's, yeah. what's there? He's sitting there on his throne, and he's surrounded by what we would now call Easter eggs. There's... Mark was here, mm-hmm. scribbled on it. That's got to be Mark <laughs> Isles. And uh, let's leave what's above that till last, because that's, that's the most interesting one. Um... <laughs> There's a little golden slip of paper that says daily card in front of him. Yeah, I I googled that that and all I could find was references to tarot. That might be like a fortune telling thing. There's a copy of Sonic the Comic. Mm -hmm. There is. And the script. That's the Wonder Boy script. Yep, the script for this comic is next to his. And I uh, think that's the skull of the artist there as well. It is. It's got his name written on it. And then. Last but absolutely not least, <laughs> a beheaded and dismembered Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> not a toy this time. There's a little, you know, the the, the telltale like circle of meat and bone at yeah. the neck. It is, yeah. It is Sonic himself <laughs> murdered and his head. <laughs> There's his bones, but particularly his intact head. Like we can look back at that and sort of chuckle and roll our eyes at it now. But like honestly, you step back and it's like, what even is this doing? Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know how to feel about what that. As attitude, an adult, I'm going, what, Haha, cool. What, what attitude is on display here? I don't even know. Why would you think that would be a good or funny thing to put in this comic? I don't know, but they were right in two senses. One of which is that I find it funny now, and the <laughs> other of which is that had I noticed at the time, I would have found it oh, very funny then. <laughs> <laughs> I was too busy looking at Grammarman's muscles. <laughs> trying. Maybe you don't maybe you didn't see his ass, but you were just trying to see Skank, his ass. You craning your what neck is to see this? around the panel. What, what's happening here? I can't <laughs> gonna say it kinda looks like he's got an arse on the front, right? He, it does. It does. It's very unusual. He's, I think he's covered in asses. <laughs> but can you see why I, uh, he's got a Tim Curry voice in my head? Oh sure. Yeah. It never occurred to me, but I, I can now, yeah. 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 And then he says, when I'm done with you, you will kill at my command. 
to Shion referencing the fact that he's turning into a demon. That is dark, right? Yeah, but it's not dark in the same way that Streets of Rage is dark. No, it's not no. dark in the grown-up way. No, it feels it feels a bit try-hard. The whole thing is so? the, the whole of Wonder Boy has in its lowest moments. It's felt tainted by this sort of cynical uh, unwillingness to engage with the material on its own level. Well, that's the interesting thing. See, Streets of Rage the tone of the comic suits the tone of the game yeah. whereas this absolutely everything about this comic is at odds with what the game is remember yeah. in the game you are fighting little mushrooms who bounce along with big cartoon eyes on I mean it, you know it looks like well I was going to say Wonder Dog but nobody will know what that is that's Amiga again it, it's one of those big eyes games one of those cartoon it looks like James Pond but prettier whereas this is yeah this is trying to be a darker more cynical more unpleasant sort of you get the sense that they've looked at the game and they gone we're not th- we this creative team who's been assigned this trip aren't interested in mm. what this game has yeah, to put exa- on the yeah. table so yeah. instead richard can we do this and he's gone ah go on i would be interested to hear the story behind that because there must be one there must have been a conversation about like can we do this or is there going to be a problem with i mean i wonder what the copyright promotions people had to say about this i don't know mm-hmm. if they're in yet but i'm talking about the whoever it was that was intermediary between stc and sega who were responsible for ticking the boxes and saying yes yes we'll pass this you can release it they must have had something to say here uh, or mm. maybe they were just very hands-off in these early days could be i think if there's one decent chuckle in this one it's whenever he tackles the boatman who's guarding the uh, yes the i like that bit castle. just because, boots him off yeah instead of the usual demon greeting we've been seeing the other ones he turns to us yes can i help you <laughs> <laughs> yeah you probably would have let him just have a boat yeah, probably. It seems alright, he does. It seems alright, yeah. but he dead now. I know, like, he can't, he can't quite settle into if it's going to be a bit silly and a bit funny. Yeah. Is, or is, is, if it's a... going to be a bit grim. I would love to see this guy doing more monsters. Oh, All of his monsters. Like... His monsters are great. I do like um, Lucinda Wade. Oh, that's quite a name, isn't it? From yeah. West Auckland, County Durham, who's uh, an MS owner and a Sonic badge winner and uh, is just so excited about Sonic the comic that she wants to... Uh, be published in it so she can go running around showing everyone so please yeah. print my letter i, I like that she's like i just didn't eat my dinner because yeah. i was reading sec i would have been like that i <laughs> oh, used God, to read yeah. at the table i love megadroid's response so what happened did you eventually have your dinner <laughs> did you ever eat again <laughs> <laughs> and we've got a couple of bits of fan art we do. um a very apt we've got a supersonic yeah. oh that's supersonic's wackles yeah yeah. It's, it's a good one. I mean, it's copied from the screen, isn't it? They seem to have paused yeah. the game at just the right yeah. frame of animation. Because uh, he's got the spikes in the right directions. And spikes yeah. in the right direction. The, the mouth is exactly right. I don't mm. think I had ever seen that as promotional art anywhere. So they must no. have paused the game. They is Scott Jackson from Preston in Lancashire. And uh, Emma Morgan from... Good gracious. Swaddling Cut Derby. Has done one of uh, Cool Spot and Sonic. Uh, cool Spot. Yo! The name's Cool Spot and Sonic's, hey, I'm the cool spot around here. <laughs> I remember that, and I remember not getting it. Is that a turn <laughs> afraid to people say that they're the cool spot? Is cool, is cool spot called that because cool spot was a thing? No, That's I don't think so. No, it just means no. Sonic is the location of all the cool. Yeah. He's okay, the- you're right. Yes. That is what it is. I needed you to pave over my ingrained memory of being confused by that phrase by explaining how very simple and basic it is. Thank you. <laughs> there's a there's a, a bit of a dilemma posed here by John Thompson from West Bowling, West Yorkshire, Sonic Badge winner. DSTC, which should I get for Christmas? Should I ask for a Game Gear, a Mega Drive, or a Mega Drive 2? 
Please tell me which is the best value for money and which has got the widest range of games. Also good but cheap games because I only get £5 per week. £5 a week? I know! £5 a week? Luxury. I remember when I went up from 50p to a pound. I do. Cool. I don't. I don't, I don't. I don't have 50p. I'll tell you what I had. I had... Um, it, my pocket money corresponded to my age. When I was nine, <laughs> I had 90p. When I turned oh. 10, I went up to a pound. Oh, I like that. Oh, <laughs> I, I used to squirrel that away. Yeah. Yeah, I'd save that like, all year round. And so there was absolutely no way of buying a- any console games. And no. Christmas and birthday, that was it. Megadroid says, tough choice, John. The Game Gear has the cheaper games, but it has a very small screen and only runs 8-bit games. And and hey, mm. if you're too young and you weren't there, the difference between Game Gear and Mega Drive was just like uh, the equivalent of like acceptable versus unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but when I, when I got Game Gear, the Game Gear was like all I knew. Yeah. So I was amazed by it. And then when everyone was talking about Sonic 2 coming out, I was like, oh, see all these pictures of Sonic 2? That that that's going to be on my Game Gear. That oh, is. Yeah. So I genuinely thought that's what Sonic Two was going to oh, look like, dear. and then I slowly figured out what a Mega Drive was. Hey, I've been. It took there. a very long time. I've been there when I was looking at the back of a Spectrum game and looking at the Amiga screenshots oh, on the back of it, yeah. going, "Wow, this looks good." Was that a Disney game? It was a it Disney was a game. game. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, it wasn't. It was Chucky Egg Two actually. Oh, well. Um, but I was there for Dizzy Games. That's yeah, why yeah. I was in that shop. The Mega Drive, says Mega Droid, is more <laughs> expensive, but has a huge range of top-quality 16-bit games, which are more pricey. And the Mega Drive 2 isn't even out yet. I suggest you talk nicely to whoever is buying your present and see what they can afford. Any other boomers out there got any advice for John? I'm struggling because, like... I, I, yeah, you're not going to be able to buy Mega Drive games, John. But you're not going to want Game Gear games yeah. because they're all trash except <laughs> Popples. Yeah, it's a Mega Drive. you got to go with a Mega Drive and just wait for birthdays and Christmas. Just wait for birthdays. It's what we did. Just like the rest yeah. of us. Yep. Yeah. It's D- fine. John, Don't worry if about you're it. out there, do get in touch and I let us know what you got got went with in the end. We say it like a joke. I mean it. Yeah, get yeah, in touch. Yeah. I want to hear from you all. Anyone who's ever written into STC, get in touch with us. <laughs> I think I did have one of those Sonic 2 pins when we pre-ordered Sonic 2, you know. Oh, is that where they came from? Yes. I never knew because yeah. I got mine off Mike. Oh. Yeah, we were at, we were we were at our Leavers Do party when we were 18 oh, years old. That's we were in so fancy nice. dress. I went as a freak. <laughs> uh I had a fez on and a cape on which was written the words point and laugh at the freak. <laughs> I like that that's that's as much effort as you could put. Yep. Because those are things you just had in the house. I had a duster for a tickle stick, yep. <laughs> and uh, Mike went as some kind of scientist and he okay. had a name badge. And, and I said, oh, how have you pinned on the name badge? And he went, look at this. And it was his Sonic 2 pin. Oh. And I said, Mike, how much for the badge at the end of tonight? He said, Dave, I am giving it to you at the end of tonight. Oh, <laughs> oh that's why Mike's great. He's a good one. I don't know where my Sonic 2 badge ended up. Oh, uh, well, I know I lost we've got the it is on my curtains at home. Oh, I still don't understand why they haven't done the Sonic and Knuckles pin logo. like that. Yeah. Imagine, yeah. Chris, a pin of the Sonic and Knuckles logo, right? Wouldn't we all wear that? Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. I never They've really thought never about the fact it. they didn't do it. It was shipped to be a yeah. tin almost. I exactly. Metallics. I spotted it earlier on. Pin. <laughs> Did you? A friend of mine got it in a pin loot crate and gave Whoa. it to me quite recently. And uh, I was quite delighted because I love pins. I really do. So... All that remains is to have a glance over what's coming next issue. It won't be anything important, I should think. Oh, no, I nope, mean, I can't nothing imagine. Important. No, it's just this uh, illustration. Cool just Streets of Rage of again. Boy here. Yeah, you know, Feel the Rage as Max ahead. and Blaze get yeah. rough on the streets. 
Kid Chameleon again. Fields of fields of screams. <laughs> wow. like a nice pun, but yikes. <laughs> Wonder Boy, Cheyenne versus Grime and Men, the fight to the finish. Actually, in the illustration we see here is the cover to issue nine, not the cover to yeah. the next issue. Oh, okay. Yeah. Huh. But issue nine is the final part of Wonder Boy, so there are only two parts of Wonder Boy left. Only? It is okay. a few parts longer than your average Sonic the Comic strip. And then probably what? Some Sonic? Oh, yeah, it's Some just the uh, uh, story oh. you've been waiting for, the origin of Sonic the, the World! Oh! <laughs> the origin of Sonic the Hedgehog! Don't oh. be a loser! Order your copy now, 95p, the affordable comic. The affordable <laughs> comic. Sizzling your way, Saturday, September the 4th. Yay. Oh, it's so good. Looking at the next issue page here, I just remembered, Dave, you and I have answered this question before, but Abby, did oh. you ever send in a data strip? <laughs> I did not. No, I did because not. you wouldn't cut up your comic. No, I remember taking out posters by... Mending back the staples. Mm. Very carefully. Yes, we observed um, that on a on one of the other <laughs> issues. We could tell you had removed the poster. The only other <laughs> thing I really did was was add blood to some early gold <laughs> because it wasn't quite gory enough for my weird eleven year old brain. I was very obsessed with blood and gold back then. Were you? Yeah. Oh dear. In what? Everything. <laughs> I remember like having sketchbooks where I was like, what would it really look like if Sonic fell on spikes? <laughs> oh. oh, yeah, we all do that. <laughs> I, I was, I don't know. I just had a weird oh, It doesn't look like Chris ever drew that. That's quite a face. <laughs> I was probably reading Deptford Mice at the time, which introduced me to the idea of really gruesome deaths yeah. to happening to cute characters. And right. look at you now. Yeah, look at me now. <laughs> Well, I mean, to be fair, straight on to 2000 AD. Yep. That yeah. does track. Yep. Oh, my. I mean, <laughs> if if people listening haven't seen Richard Elson's work on 2000 AD, oh, it's so good. <laughs> He's, it's oh, real yeah. good. He's really, yeah. really good now. <laughs> oh, he gets to draw some big giant bugs. I mean, he was always great at doing they, that sort of sci-fi and monsters hmm? and he things. He gets to draw and, some muscle bums in that. He draw some muscle bums oh my word <laughs> i haven't told him what i think of the muscle bums he draws but he's lovely Aww. he's the nicest person ever and i yeah. still get shy so that was issue number seven so if you want to follow us on social media while you're waiting for issue number eight i am chris mcfeely on twitter and youtube i am demon tomato dave on twitter and youtube and twitch and i'm at abby rider on twitter our opening theme is synchronized by sonic the comic the band we have been sonic the comic the podcast Phrase! <laughs> I normally look at the comic and see what bye it says boomers. on it, but it just says two new mega series starting sides. That's not very just good. Say bye, boomers. Bye, boomers! Bye! Bye! <laughs>I'm getting a bit of a throb coming through from your end. Oh, how exciting. Ooh.